You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a platform we've created to bring the Nordic tech community together. My name is Charlotte Roberts and I'm your host. Okay, everybody. So we are now live and we're going to be discussing uh, the future of HR, a deep dive into people analytics. Um, so before I go ahead and get started, I just wanted to introduce myself. Um, so I'm Charlotte. So I work at Evolution as a um, team lead and data recruiter. Uh, so alongside hosting the podcast, my main role is actually um, within recruitment. Um, I've been working at Evolution now for about two years. Um, and like I say, specialize in recruiting data consultants across the Nordics. Um, but yeah, my passion is just speaking with people day in, day out. I absolutely love my job. Um, I'm passionate about solving people's problems through um, freelance consultants. Um, but yeah, enough about me and let's get on to the podcast. Before we go ahead and jump into the questions, I'll go around and get an introduction of everybody. Um, so with Michelle, if you'd like to go first, that would be great. Of course. So, hi everyone, my name is Michelle and I work as a senior analyst in people analytics within Spotify. Um, I have been in Spotify for the last two years and a half now. I come from a neuroscientific background and was part of the neuroscience field for over six years conducting research. What I enjoy most about my role within people analytics and the field itself is I think the ability to innovate by uh, leaning on my neuroscientific knowledge. I am also a mother to a six-year-old who is currently sick at home. So there might be times during which he might actually make an appearance or I might make a disappearance or I'm apologizing in advance. <laughs> um, during my free time, the little free time that I actually have, I enjoy keeping up to date with scientific advances, jogging and going to the gym. And I'm very excited to be part of this podcast and look forward to discussing such an interesting and varied topic. Oh, thank you very much, Michelle, for that introduction. And we're all excited to have you as well. Um, don't worry if you do need to run out. You know, that's that's the fun of doing a live podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Oh, lovely. So, if, uh, Julia, if you'd like to go next, that would be lovely. Yeah, sure. So, hi, everyone. I'm Julia, working as People Analytics Manager at Sweco, uh, that provides architectural uh, consultancy services. Um, and I've been there for like two years now. Uh, which gave me a lot of opportunities to work with interesting topics and projects in, in people analytics, obviously. Uh, and my passion is, is spending time with my, uh, with my dog and playing with him. Uh, he's such a fun character to be around with and yeah, makes my uh, days very happy and, and fun. And I'm very, also very excited to be here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, again, I'm very excited to have you on. And yeah, I think we all need a dog in our life, don't we, really? <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you very much for that introduction. And last but certainly not least, George, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm uh, George, uh, working for Ericsson as a uh, Head of People Data Science and Analytics, uh, and I, I think I, I, I've been working in People Analytics for my entire career so far. And uh, what I enjoy the most in my free time, I would say, I'm holding to uh, board games most of the time. Nice, love that. Thank you very much for that introduction. And uh, thanks everybody for joining me today. I'm really excited about um, this podcast and the topic that we're going to be talking about. Um, so first and foremost, um, I just want to go around the table and understand from uh, from you, what is people analytics? 
Okay. If I may start, uh, I think uh, people analytics in general or, or also called as uh, HR analytics or, or workforce analytics sometimes is just uh, it's a it's a data driven approach uh, to manage and optimize workforce at different companies. So it, it includes or, or involves data analysis, uh, statistical methods uh, to make a more informed and objective decisions about people-related issues at the workplace. So people analytics can be used to analyze uh, a variety of HR-related topics like employee performance, recruitment, retention, engagement, or uh, diversity and inclusion. And by analyzing uh, this data, organizations can identify patterns and trends uh, that can help them to make basically more effective decisions about their workforce. So I could even say that people analytics, from my perspective, is one of the, if if not the best form of diagnosis tool for organizational development. Yep, I can relate to that. Um, yes. What I w also worth mentioning is obviously it can help organizations to identify potential issues that are not even issues or problems uh, at that point, but for example, analyzing um, data on employee turnover, um, the company or the organization can identify the factors why the employees are leaving and, and take a step and address those before they become significant or before they become a huge problem for the for the company. So I think that's also worth mentioning that um, you can also identify things beforehand before it becomes a problem for, for the business. Okay. <clears throat> Um, I agree with both Yuri and uh, Julia, of course. I think people analytics is all about taking a data-driven approach to inform us about our workforce and to help the, the business take data-informed decisions with regards to their employees. Personally, I think people analytics is also about attempting to understand human behavior through data and numbers. So as a field, I think it's best informed by psychological studies, uh, most um, most common organizational psychology, but also neuroscientific ones. And I think roping together scientific studies and hypotheses with data and data science approach uh, approaches allows us to reach uh, far more accurate decisions about our workforce populations and also puts the business in a better position to provide the workforce with what they need or want in order to excel at their work and progress through their career and ultimately in order for them to be happy at work. And a happy and satisfied workforce undoubtedly leads to a far better functioning company. So I think this is again what people analytics is all about. Nice. Some really great questions there and answers as well, of course. Um, so yeah, we'll move on to the questions now. Um, so George, um, if you'd like to go first with your question, that would would be great. Um, for sure. Okay. Uh, I brought the question of uh, how can we drive success in uh, people analytics. Uh, from my perspective, one of the most uh, critical aspect of success is uh, in people analytics data quality. So to ensure data quality, it's crucial to have standardized and accurate data collection processes, as well as ongoing monitoring and maintenance of the data. This will help to ensure that the, the data we are working with is reliable and can be used to inform decisions. So this is 
also the one I think which organizations tend to forget the most, why it's the most important one for the long-term success, I think. Uh, another uh, factor, I think, is simply to uh, to align with with business objectives. So it's it's essential to identify key business objectives and ensure that people analytics initiatives are designed to support these objectives, because this will ensure that the insights generated from the data are actionable and drive meaningful business outcomes. And maybe one more or, or uh, is. I would say just in, in, in general, the, the success might be, uh, or might rely most on, on, on also the, the people analytics team itself. Uh, so the team should have the right capabilities to perform on the job. So critical skills required for success might include obviously data analysis, statistical modeling and, and, uh, database management as well. How about others? What, what were you think? Yeah, please jump in. Yeah, so obviously I, I can agree to that, that first comes first, the data quality, because if you want to build your insights and an analysis on, on data that has a lot of issues and, and, and errors, obviously that's not going to be helpful for anyone. But the other thing that I would like to mention is data literacy and communication. So once you have your results or once you started to analyze a business problem, uh, what can be an important driver for success? is, is uh, how to make how to make uh, make it understandable uh, for the audience and how to how to make them understand and uh, what 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 you are presenting and how to analyze data and it's essential for HR employees obviously but all the business but mostly HR employees who will work with it uh, that how to interpret uh, the data accurately and how to inform decisions based on the data. So in the context of people analytics, obviously, uh, data literacy can help the company to identify the patterns and, and trends of the employee data, which, which can inform decisions, uh, like on different topics like recruitment or engagement and, and retention. Uh, but obviously, um, we need to be able to present it in a way that it's understandable and everyone can grasp uh, the topics in general and, and the findings and, and make it like uh, really like I don't like this word, but storytelling about the findings, um, because it's easier for, for people who are not working with data to relate to it, if they at least uh, have some sense of it, uh, like how we measure things and, and what like different metrics are included in and, and so on, and how we got to the conclusions that we did, uh, so that they can trust, uh, the findings and they can also, um, pass the information on to business leaders and so on. And also the, when it comes to communication, that's also a critical uh, component, uh, I would say, for, for the success of people analytics, like how effectively we communicate and these insights. Um, and yeah, so pretty much that's it. Um, and how we can, how we can use um, these insights in, in like in broader aspects of, of communication in, in a, like a group communication or company communications in general, um, while we deal with things. So um, from my end, again, I, I agree. I think um, what Yuri was talking about was stage one or step one. So without that, you can't go to what Leah uh, or Julia was talking about, which is step two. Um, and I think also as a final step, 
once you have done stage one and stage two, um, in order to drive success, the target should be scaling. So creating a solution to a problem that is used by one or two stakeholders will undoubtedly solve uh, an immediate problem. But typically that requires maintenance from your end. And if it's a good solution, you will undoubtedly get similar requests to duplicate your work for other stakeholders. So from my experience, from talking to other people, analytics teams as well, this part is what consumes a lot of time for the team. And it's very easy to find yourself repeating an analysis or refreshing and upkeeping a dashboard that is used by, I don't know, one or two people. So therefore, I think the aim should also should be to scale whatever solution you produce whenever it's possible, because of course, it's not always possible. Um, at Spotify, we go about by creating uh, specific products to address certain issues uh, within HR. So we go, uh, we, we create in-house scale solutions. Uh, and this way, it ensures that the product is available to all stakeholders with the right set permissions and that the stakeholders can actually navigate the product to find the answers to their demands. Thereby, it in turn frees up the time um, of the people in people analytics team. Um, although with scaling, there's also an element of training that has to be involved. So it's not useful to create a product that no one knows how to use. So I think training the stakeholder on how to use the product via demos and Q&As is also important. And I think one last important thing is communication as well. So creating something that works and solves problems at scale without investing the time and resources to actually market it, market it internally and making people aware of it will not lead to much success. So I think to summarize from my end, I think we can drive success in uh, people analytics through scaling, but also uh, keeping in mind training and having the right comms for it. So I think um, I can move on to the next question. Yeah. So my question is, how can people analytics ensure return on investment or ROI? And to give a bit of a <clears throat> background or reason for asking this question is that after the pandemic, uh, a lot of companies have now seen the first-hand value uh, that the people analytics team adds to the company. Um, however, of course, with an increase in investment from the companies um, in expanding their people analytics team, they also expect a return on that investment. Um, and I'd like to discuss, I don't know what you guys think, on, on how we can ensure that we give that return on investment to the company from a people analytics perspective. Yeah. I can start if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just have like one thing that came to my mind, which might be not the most common uh, approach or the most common way to uh, to impact return on investment in people analytics is through uh, social capital of the employees. So by identifying uh, key influencers within an organization, for example. So these influencers might be uh, individuals who have a significant impact on the behavior or attitudes of, of uh, others and the performance of their peers. So by identifying these people, organizations can uh, leverage the social capital to, to drive some positive outcomes, such as like increased productivity or improved collaboration and, and higher levels of engagement. For example, we may identify that a particular employee is highly respected by their peers or 
or uh, have a significant impact on the engagement of, of, of their colleagues and by recognizing and, and leveraging the social capital of this, uh, this employee, we can in empower them uh, to become a, a leader or a change agent uh, or uh, or maybe the other thing is is uh, within the same context again social capital is is true uh, identifying and addressing gaps uh, within the organization with the same context for example uh, we may see that there are significant communication gaps between different departments or teams uh, which are uh, again impacting productivity and performance uh, and by addressing these gaps we can drive significant like return or investment by improving uh, the given team's performance let's say yeah that makes pretty much sense and what i would like to add to that is obviously um employee engagement so when it comes to um, employee, engaged employees, what we know is that obviously they are more uh, productive and innovative and, and committed to achieve the company's goals. But it, uh, in contrast with disengaged employees who are more likely to be absent and have higher sick leave rates or are disinterested in working and have a lower level of performance. So obviously, when it comes to return on investment, is I would say that uh, identifying how to keep the employees engaged um, that can help the, the company uh, pretty much keeping them. And if we keep the employees happy, uh, then on the long run, we we can uh, that can have like a good impact on or a decrease, uh, like let's say the recruitment cost, because that will come with higher retention. So if we can keep the employees engaged, they will more, more likely. Uh, to stick around and if they stick around we can eliminate some costs um, that comes with new recruitment like training costs and just in general the recruitment cost of, of new employees so then we need to identify pretty much the factors that uh, contribute to employee engagement such as work-life balance compensation career development opportunities and see how we can work with those and how we can uh, make it appealing for the employees to stick around and also when it comes to uh, in engaged employees, as I already said, uh, they are more likely to be productive and innovative. So it can also have a return on investment factor that the company ha is more productive on the long run uh, with each in engaged employees and that can increase the revenue and the profits. And um, also uh, what we can do is pretty much uh, facilitate the internal movements of the employees. Um, because if if they see a lot of potential in the company uh, to stay um, by by helping them to to move internal roles like lateral movements or even promoting them, uh, that can also have a positive impact on, on the return on investment. Uh, because then we can identify um, how we can develop the talents and also improve the retention and build like a strong pipeline of, of future leaders. Uh, so I would. I would say that that's pretty essential um, for that. And then um, obviously we need to identify the talent gaps and opportunities in certain parts of the business. Let's say that uh, some parts of the business has issues with, with keeping employees compared to other parts, then, then we can have a, a better uh, talent pipeline and, and better uh, planning on that uh, to, to fill out these talent gaps and to make sure that 
uh, it's a smooth uh, way of working, even though uh, the employees are, are leaving. Uh, and that can also uh, yeah, help us pretty much to, to keep uh, profitability. And then, uh, obviously, that comes with this improvement of succession planning and career uh, development opportunities. Um, and also, what we can do is pretty much help to identify high potential employees uh, who may be suitable for, for leadership roles. Um, and then we can track the career paths of successful leaders uh, within the organization uh, so that um, we can identify the skills and experience that are necessary uh, for leadership positions. And we can also develop these programs to nurture and develop uh, like high potential employees. And that can also, since we we uh, identify them as high potential, they will also can be in a special program and that also helps them to uh, be more engaged and, and uh, wait uh, their line in the talent pipeline to get to that new position that, that they are suitable for. So I think that's also good. Um, part to mention for return on investment. Well, okay. I think you've basically covered all aspects between uh, during her beauty. That's amazing. I had, well, I had the same thing, ideas in mind. And I think my main example that I was going to bring around was about attrition. And I think that is one very effective way um, of, or one KPI that we can actually keep in mind uh, and measure, which, which directly, like you were saying, Julia, impacts ROI. Um, I can give a bit more of a background, maybe if, if we're, we're all aware that uh, hiring new employees involves multiple resources um, across recruiting, interviewing, onboarding and training stages. So the average cost of hire, according to a recent Glassdoor study, is around $4,000 per employee. But that, of course, depends on the sort of role you're hiring for. And it also depends if you're outsourcing the recruitment tasks. On average, a small business um, owner spends around 40% of their working hours on tasks that do not generate income, such as hiring. So if you had to consider all the resources, time, effort, and money uh, needed for the whole process, from finding the right talent um, to the time that that candidate starts to effectively contribute to the company through his or her work, you will undoubtedly reach the conclusion that retaining talent is far more cost-effective than recruiting talent. And that's where the attrition comes to play, basically. So if we can effectively manage to reduce attrition and retain talent within our organization, the ROI will be huge for the company. And I think the next question stands uh, that you, you already answered, but how do we go about um, uh, reducing attrition, basically, which is the golden HR question, in my opinion. Uh, and how can people analytics help? So one way of doing this would be crunching the data, okay? Um, understanding the reason why people are leaving. Um, and you can do this through surveys. Um, uh, but you can also look, take a look at the numbers um, and try to identify patterns in the number, like was previously mentioned. And creating a solution that allows stakeholders um, to keep a close eye on attrition levels, but also a close eye on the overall feel of the workforce. Um, which is basically the social capital impact that uh, George was uh, was um, talking about. So I think having these solutions in place, having a way to keep a close eye on attrition and uh, measuring it, but also um, keeping a close eye um, and on the overall feel of the workplace through engagement surveys, etc., would be a good first step um, towards reducing the attrition levels. 
Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. We've actually had a question that, that has just come in and it's very um, relevant to um, to this question that we're on at the moment. So can you give some specific examples of key performance indicators that could be used to measure the impact of people analytics on ROI? And feel free, whoever wants to jump in first to answer that question. Well, I think there might be a couple depends obviously how we define uh, ROI but if we stick to uh, let's say to the financial term itself uh, we can definitely track things like uh, cost of uh, hire or cost of onboarding in general uh, average cost of the workforce at uh, different parts of the organizations not to mention the, you know, let's say all kinds of uh, different uh, salary or 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 uh, or, or uh, yeah, mostly salary related metrics like uh, let's say the proportion of of, of people achieving a, uh, or or proportion of people who are paid above or below the market, uh, things like that. But I think the most common things that organizations do is mostly just to track the cost of workforce from different aspects. Also, the example that I gave about the cost of recruitment, that's quite a challenging one to define because there are so many different aspects of the recruitment costs. De- depends on uh, whether you include things like, I don't know, uh, job fairs or, or events or or the costs of the interviews. There are so many aspects of, of uh, the recruitment process itself that it is quite a challenge to define how you define costs in those aspects, at least. Yeah, and also we touched upon these KPIs earlier when we say like employee retention rate. Obviously, if we measure the employee retention rate, the employee return higher it is, uh, it can indicate that the organization is successful uh, in retaining the employees, which can lead to cost saving associated with reduced turning work costs, obviously. And same with training and development. So we can also measure training and development costs and also the effectiveness uh, of these training and development programs. And um, those can also help help us to define um, how, how, how successful we are uh, with our journey in this area. Um, so we have, or as George said, around recruitment costs or just in general time to fill the position that can be also really useful KPI to see if we have anything in there that we need to work on. Yeah. I, I agree from my end. Um, I think uh, dimensioned metrics uh, pretty much covers some of the or, or most of the KPIs. I, I think it's all about monetizing people analytics uh, when it comes to ROI. So like uh, George and Julia said, there are certain things that we can look at in order to 
ensure that uh, we are having an impact and that there is a return on investment. And I think the challenge within people analytics is that sometimes the monetization part and the tracking part can be a bit complex, you know, and it all depends on how you define certain things. And so I think it uh, it's worth saying that um, it makes sense to spend time, a bit of time defining what you're trying to measure first before going ahead and measuring it, because the way a person defines it can make a massive difference on what you're measuring and ultimately the outcome. Yeah, just one more respect, maybe, uh, just came to my mind, which I think it's a pretty important one most of the time, uh, or I could even directly say that we tend to uh, forget that we are talking about people. So if we want to use people analytics in a, in a good way or achieve a high return on investment, the one of the best thing we can do is to use people analytics to increase employee engagement and and the general well-being of our workforce because that will lead to uh, better productivity for sure that's a, that's a scientific fact so if we are looking for return on investment let's uh, let's take a look on our people and make sure that we have a happy and engaged workforce uh, who is not overworked or burned out or who in general uh, likes to do their job. And there are a, a, a lot of things that we can do on, on that area, not necessarily from a people analytics perspective every time, but again, we can use people analytics to uncover what are the things that needs to be done to achieve success. Yeah, that's why I'm also a huge advocate for employee engagement service, and it shouldn't just happen once a year, because if you listen to your employees once a year, then some plan actions and then sit back relax for another year, then then the change is pretty much slower than if you would have like continuous sort of like di dialogue with your employees through pulse surveys or other engagement surveys that you have in mind. So then you can it can be like a more um on on more in time feedback uh from the employees that you can receive in certain parts or even you don't need to have like engagement service, but you can listen to our employees several ways. Like when they finish a training, they can also give like an instant feedback in a short survey or a few questions, how they felt it was useful for them, how they can use uh, the training uh, in their daily work and so on. So there's a lot of, lot of ways to listen to the employees, not just uh, yearly engagement service. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important that it should happen. And obviously um, it should be discussed uh, with them so that they feel uh, that they are listened to. No, definitely. Going back to what George had as well, like you're dealing with people and when they are filling out these surveys, sometimes it can be maybe just just the mood that they're in at that time as well when they're filling it out and that sort of thing. Um, but no, I think we'll move on now then to um, to um, Julie's question. Um, so Julie, if you'd like to ask your question and I'll open it up to the group. Yeah, exactly. So um, my question would be around hybrid work and productivity and is it worth measuring? And if so, how um, and how we can navigate in the new normal? Uh, because let's face it, after COVID, a lot of companies uh, went from fully like um, on on time or on in office work to hybrid work, meaning that some bar, some time of the employees can spend uh, remotely and some they uh, they spend at the office. 
And obviously more and more companies offer hybrid work after COVID and more and more employees expect this option to be available in companies um, because that can also be like a good benefit for a for work-life balance. Uh, but naturally, this, ra- this can raise the interest in measuring the connection between hybrid work and productivity and to understand how the employees are adapting to this new way of working and how we can make sure that we are productive uh, when we are working remotely and when we are working hybrid. So I think that's why that's where I'm coming from. And um, is it worth measuring and if how, uh, if so, how? So that, that's my background to this question. Mm, I can start uh, answering the question. I think to start off with, I believe everything is worth measuring because I love data. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when it comes to hybrid work and productivity, I believe one of the starting points could actually be looking at what the research has already, the research that has already been done um, by research teams and also companies and the conclusions that they reached. Um, so si- since COVID, I've seen a lot of effort has gone into understanding how uh, working from home has impacting the workforce. And uh, there are several studies that have been con- uh, conducted on this topic. So it would be a good starting point. Um, the-, the only drawback in that is that um, research studies tend to be highly generalized and maybe not very specific to your company or to your culture. So the second point, I think, would be to understand what you can or are able to offer your employees and how how you're going to go about doing that. So it's also worth pointing out that wanting to do something versus being prepared to execute it are two completely different things in my experience. So it's it's not worth much speaking about what you would like to do without evaluating the steps that you actually need to take and the changes that need to be done in the company for it to be implemented successfully. So I think having said that, if you have done this exercise and you feel that you are able to introduce a hybrid working model and also support your employees in order to be able to take up that option, I think from a data perspective, at least the next step would be ensuring that you have a baseline to measure against um, and also understand what value, what variables you might want to include in order to measure productivity. So I think then the problem arises a bit when you speak about productivity. So what defines productivity and, and how do we actually measure it? So if your company has a way of tracking performance, uh, that is one common stream of analysis. So you can compare performance before and also after introducing the hybrid working model. Uh, and that might give you some insight on the change, any changes related to performance and in turn productivity due to the hybrid model. Although it's limited, as I, I would say, performance is only one aspect of uh, productivity. On the other hand, if like um, Spotify, for example, you don't really have any direct way of actually measuring performance, then I would say you need to get a bit creative. And the way we go about it for Spotify is that we use uh, indirect ways, quantitative measures as well, um, uh, to measure performance. Um, and the first, applo- the first approach is a qualitative approach. So like we've been talking about, you can conduct surveys and pulses and engagement surveys, and that will give you an understanding on the well-being, the the inclusion, the belonging aspect, the relationships, and the overall engagement of the employees, which directly links um, to performance. Um, Secondly, from the quantitative aspect of things, it would be a bit more challenging if if you're not measuring performance. So what we do is we use certain data points, um, for example, like number of promotions, Uh, time between promotions, level progression associated with promotion, lateral movements is is also a good variable, pay increases, 
equity offers. So all these are, are quantitative metrics that can be used um, in measuring indirectly performance if, if we don't have um, a performance structure or way of measuring it already within the company. And also comparing data before having the option of hybrid work versus of, after offering that option of hybrid work. And then also aggregating your data um, to compare employees' performance based on whether they have taken that hybrid option or not. And I think that's the most accurate uh, way of understanding um, if hybrid working is actually having effect on your company. I think it's worth mentioning that one last thing to keep in mind is being aware of the difference that might arise from ticking an option box to the reality of the situation. So just because an employee chooses, for example, to work from the office three times a week, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually being done. Um, so if you are going to introduce a hybrid working model, uh, and leave it up to employees to make that choice and uh, act on it, then it might also be reasonable to have an accurate way of measuring um, other than what they actually chose or a ticked box on a, on a form. So what we realize at Spotify is that there's quite a mismatch between employees' choices and also what they're actually doing for the sake um, of data analysis. This is a very important distinction. So. Um, we had to resort to other um, options in order to aggregate the data. Uh, so apart from the flag that we have on Workday, which indicates the choice that the employee made, you can take other metrics um, to help you understand what's actually happening. For example, uh, how many times the employees use their entrance card in order to enter the office. And that might actually give you a more accurate representation of whether the employee might fall into the home or the office mix, depending um on, on on the options that that you provide basically i think you touched on a pretty important aspect of it like uh, what uh the way i think is that it's it's in general defining and measuring employee productivity is quite a common challenge in people analytics and uh, as as michelle also mentioned there are there are several reasons for this, including uh, also the complexity of the work patterns and the challenges associated with tracking data related to employee activity or, or calendars and the emails. Uh, one of the challenges that I think, uh, so one of the challenges why work patterns vary is that it is just a, just the difference in the roles and you know the departments the industries for example measuring the productivity of a software developer may be very different from measuring the productivity of a i don't know customer service representative uh, and this variability makes it very challenging to develop any standardized definition that can be applied across different contexts. Uh, another challenge is that productivity can obviously be impacted by a wide range of factors, including individual differences, a work environment or organizational culture. So one employee's productivity might be impacted by factors such as their job satisfaction, work-life balance, or, or even just the availability of uh, the resources they have. And a third issue about tracking data related to uh, it's, it's, it's just 
to track data about employee activity in general, about calendars, emails. This can be very challenging as well. Because, well, one reason is that this data can be scattered across multiple systems and platforms, making it difficult to aggregate and analyze. But there are obvious privacy and ethical concerns associated with collecting and analyzing this data, which may just limit the ability of the organization to gather this data and, and conduct some meaningful research. Uh, however, despite all these challenges, I think organizations can still use people analytics to measure and improve uh, productivity. Just one approach is to develop like a, a customized definition of productivity, which is tailored to uh, specific needs and context, like specific roles, for example. Or another approach might be to leverage some advanced analytics techniques, such as time tracking or uh, feedback from employees and managers, uh, or uh, some, well, in some cases, I would say machine learning and AI may also uh, be used to analyze, uh, I would say, mostly unstructured data related to uh, related to productivity. I can completely agree to that. And what you mentioned around input and what can be used as an input data, like hours worked or time spent at the desk or like how, how much time the employees are spending in, in their outlook or what they are doing in outlook and how they spend their time. But that's all, that's also my question that does it worse measuring these inputs instead of focusing on the outputs, meaning that instead of all of these, like how many hours you are billable or how many hours you are, if you are in consultancy, how many hours you are working and registering as you are working with clients instead of shifting the focus to the output metrics, such as project completion or sales targets to be met or customer satisfaction ratings. Those can be also, uh, I think, useful to measure uh, productivity rather than just the input, like hard facts on how many hours the employees are working on, on certain things or projects. Um, and also what I think is challenging is, uh, is the lack of trust, um, because some managers may struggle with trusting the employees that they are working and they are productive and they are not in the office. And that that could be really, uh, a big challenge to work on. And then obviously, uh, there can be established guidelines and, and clear, uh, accountability and, and reporting. So that to overcome this challenge and see that, okay, if, if you are accountable for certain tasks and, and, and what, what are your obligations to do? And if you fulfill those, then, uh, it's easier to prove that the employees can be productive, uh, when they are working remotely. So I think that's also an important factor to, um, take in mind and keep in mind. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm quite sure that one of the benefits you can give to your employees is to just treat them as adults in general. So uh, if someone spends their time in the office, that might not necessarily mean that they are productive or the other way around as well. Uh, so this is just a, this is just a question, which is surely worth thorough research as well in general. 
We've just had another question come through as well, which is very relevant. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but it'd be nice to go into a bit more um, detail. So what are some potential challenges that companies may face when trying to measure productivity in hybrid work environment? And how can they overcome these challenges to ensure accurate measurement and effective decision making? I think which uh, just a very common thing uh, to measure productivity with uh, and this is just because the complexity issues we just briefly talked about is to just ask employees how productive they feel. That might be not the best way to measure productivity itself, but it's still a very important aspect of uh, of productivity. Obviously, it has some relation with the with organizational culture. Do you believe that if your employees tell that they are more productive, in the office or at home, then this is the productivity you are uh, trying to achieve or not. Uh, but other than that, I think uh, they are, as as mentioned, lots of related challenges. But in general, I think one of the most easiest way is to just ask. When when do you feel more productive? This can be part of any uh, kind of a kind of a survey or 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 uh, or feedback. Or lots of companies run similars during or after the pandemic. Uh, the question is more just if they, uh, if if those uh, those surveys had consequences. So they they really implemented the learnings and the findings which uh, which they which uh, the data suggested. And I I tend to agree with what you really said, but it's also I think it raises the question of. Uh, would I'm, I'm trying to put myself <laughs> in, in those shoes, but even if I'm not being productive and I feel like I'm not being productive, would I actually say that I'm not being productive? <laughs> no. So I think it's something also, it's an important aspect to keep in mind. Like you said, yes, there's an element of trust, but I think it works both ways. It's, it's trust uh, coming from the company and also from the employee. So knowing that it, it, I think it's all about creating a safe environment and a good environment in which the employee feels safe enough to say, okay, listen, I have a problem. I don't feel like I am uh, being productive. Can you help me? Or I need help. Or what can I do about it? You know. So I think there's an element of building that sort of culture uh, as well in order to get good answers and accurate answers from employees. And then there's also the element of, um, well, the quantitative aspect, which I've mentioned before. So there are other ways. I don't think it's the only way. I think it should be a combination of questions like Yuri uh, recommended, getting the employee's perspective, which is important, building that that culture of trust, but also um, looking at the metrics that you already have. So if you're measuring things like promotions, um, that's usually an outcome of good performance and of productivity. You know, people that are productive and that perform are typically promoted or get pay rises. So if you keep track of these things, those are valuable metrics that you can uh, that you can use. Um, there's also movements, so lateral movement and horizontal movements across the company, which could be a good indication um, of whether an employee is being productive with a particular role. So, I think it's um, in order to to be as accurate as you can with these sort of measurements. I think the trick is taking a lot of different perspectives and looking at it from a lot of different angles, not just one. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And what I wanted to add is obviously another challenge can be like 
lack of visibility. So like with the employees working remotely, it can be difficult for managers to have a good visibility on what their what the employees' work processes and, uh, and how they progress in certain things. But obviously, then comes the trust part that I already mentioned. And obviously, we can overcome these challenges if we have like digital tools like everyone else um, uh, for project management softwares or collaboration tools or communication platforms that every company uses so that we can measure it um, more effectively um, what the employees are, are doing and even if they are not around in the office. Um, but yeah, I pretty much agree with, with Michelle and, and George on that, uh, what they said. Nice. Lovely. Well, yeah, I think, well, we've gone through all the questions then, unless anybody else has anything else to add just before we go ahead and end the podcast there. Lovely. Well, I just want to say thank you uh, to everybody for joining us today. And thanks for the questions that are coming live. And um, thanks for still listening. Thanks everyone.